Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with Wild Hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Wild Hearts at Work podcast. I am your host, Melissa Boggs. And this week, our word is clarity. And our guest is Dr. Michael Gerhartz. He is a big proponent of clarity in the world of work. And I want to just have you tell us about yourself, Dr. Gerhartz. Thanks, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Um, well, I help leaders make change happen. Um, and the reason why clarity plays such a big role is that, I mean, every change starts with someone who sees a better future. Um, but in order to for that change to actually happen, others need to see it as well. And that's what I try to help people with, to find the clarity to think and speak about what they see in a way that others see it as well, so that they can take action, inspire action, and actually make that future that they see a reality. That, that's what I try to do in the world. That just gave me goosebumps, because I think we talk all the time about how, you know, as a leader, you have to have a vision, but I don't think we talk enough about how do you help others, you know, see that vision and not just see it, but feel it you know, want it as badly as you want it. Um, so what are some of the ways that you do that with leaders? How do you help them get there? Well, in one of the most important things that you need to realize when you want to affect change is that you're not going to do, do that alone. It's not that the world is waiting for you to, to change it. You're going to have to have support from, from others, from your team, if you're the leader of a company or the leader of a team in that company. Um, or if you're um, in politics, you need support of your voters or even for, for some, some cause like, like the Fridays for Future movement. You need to, you need to have support. Um, and it's not like in the old days where, where a leader was basically the, the owner of a company and was in a position where he just could just command his team to do what he wanted them to do. Um, it's also, we, we've also surpassed sort of the second phase of leadership where we recognize that it might be better to use something like incentives, sort of the carrot and the stick model where we incentivize goals. Um, but the problem with that is that it's still the leader who gets to decide what matters and what doesn't. Um, and so I'm seeing that, that more and more people who really bring positive change to the world, more and more of those recognize that a better approach is to, to try and understand the people who can help you make that change and resonate with what matters to them. And so to actually shift your perspective, not so much on what you want to achieve, but, but on where's the common ground? What is the path that we as a team can walk along so much stronger and so much more capable than each of us would if they were just walking through the world alone? And so actually looking at the team and who's on the team or at the customer, who, who are these people and try to find what 
try to find out what matters to them, shine them up, shine a light on a path that they are ready to take so that they will want to do that rather than you having to push or pull them with some incentives or so. Yeah, I think that's interesting because with the incentives, you can sort of just make a blanket statement, right? Like if you reach this goal, you get X. But what you're describing actually takes quite a bit of effort on the part of the leader. And whether that leader is like a CEO or just someone in the organization who wants to lead a change, that means you have to make a lot of effort to understand the people around you and speak their language, which I think we miss sometimes. It's like, oh, I have this vision and everyone's just going to love it. You know, like you said, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think that that's why um, we see resistance to change is that we're not doing enough of the work to find out what matters to people? Um, I think we're, we're sort of mistaken if we think that we can just sort of persuade someone to, to do that. Because if, if we look at ourselves, I mean, who is happy to be convinced or persuaded of something? We're, we're often not. We're, we're much happier to, to be confirmed in what we believe, to, to be, um, to be um, assured in that, that we're good people and, and what, what we strive for is actually a good thing. Um, and so it, I think it turns out, if we, if we think, think that through, that although that might be harder to start with, as you put it, it, it is a lot of effort, sometimes even emotional effort of really getting into the minds of people and understanding what, what matters to them, what they strive for, how they look at the world. Um, but once we've done that, everything that follows is so much easier because we don't have to persuade. Um, you don't have to persuade harder when you re can resonate stronger. And, and, and I think that that's what this is all about. So it's harder to start with, but it's so much easier um, in the long run. No, absolutely. It's like, um, you know, doing maintenance on your vehicle might take a little bit of time or be difficult to do, but yeah. your vehicle is going to run smoother <laughs> and much longer. Um, it also strikes me that there's, there's almost two things that it's a two way street, right? There's two things that you have to be considerate of is what's going to resonate with them. And then to a certain degree, whether or not they can trust you as that leader, you know, and as the person leading the change, do I, do I resonate with this idea and do I trust this person? And I think that requires a lot of clarity too. Um, have you seen that where the leaders have to sort of go like, this is who I am. I'm worthy of your trust. Obviously that that's a, a very important point. And, and it's, it's actually also a major source of frustration um, when you feel like you're sort of entitled of the support of your team, um, which is of course not the case most of the time. I mean, even if you are in a power position, um, that's often not the case. Although you might have the, the, the support on the surface, the team is not running full steam because everyone's having that internal resistance. Um, so th that's the first thing that yeah, that you have to get over, that that the world, as we, we mentioned in the beginning, the world is not waiting for you. Um, so in order to make 
change happen. You, you, you need to find the perspective of the things that you care about that actually matter to the world or even if it's just the world in your small um, small team or company or your 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 um, circle of influence, um, and then really finding the clarity of how how is the thing that I'm I care about actually impacting the people that I'm having contact with that I, that I interact with and engage with. How is is that relationship actually working out, and and how are the things that I care about affecting those people and then finding the overlap between those things rather than just insisting that I am right and you are not, I've seen the truth and you must see it as well. So rather than, than that, just to adapt to what is our common truth or our unified truth. Now, hold on because I did my time and I did all the work and now I'm in this power position. Shouldn't I be entitled to them just doing what I tell them to do? I'm clearly being sarcastic, but, uh, but, but I think there are many leaders who do still have that attitude right now. What, what do you say to those leaders um, besides what you've already said, but what do you say them uh, to them about, all the work they have done to get, to get to that point. It still matters, but we have to pivot it now, right? Exactly. I mean, um, nobody really cares about what it took you to get to where you were at. Um, I mean, I, I see how it took you struggles and how it took you years of blood, sweat, and tears to get to that position. But if someone comes along who has a story that resonates better who's just started out and doesn't have these years long uh, these years of experience the audience is just not going to care about the effort that you put in it it's like it's like the the the, the economic concept of sunk costs i mean the the things the thing that you've invested in the past are only useful to the degree that you will that they help you to to reach the future that you see. And if they don't, it's probably time to change. I mean, it's, it's, it's a free world and you can do whatever you like. And if you, if you feel like you're entitled to do, to, to insist on your worldview, that's perfectly fine. And there might be a company and there might be a career where that's, where, where you're the perfect fit for that position. But if you're not, and if your team's not resonating with them, it's probably not the team's fault. Agreed. And I, I feel like we're really at this juncture. I mean, it's sort of the whole point of this podcast. And I think the work that you do is that we're finally starting to see that shift be more evident, you know, not just to the rebellious people, but, you know, more and more organizations are starting to recognize that they cannot keep talented people if you're going to tell them what to do. You know, there's a phrase, I'm going to misquote it. I know I am, but, um, you know, I didn't hire talented people in order for me to tell them what to do. I hired them so they would tell me what to do. (laughs) Maybe it was Steve Jobs, I think. think Um, But, you know, we're at this juncture where I think, you know, like you said, yes, there might be places that that worldview still fits. um, But I think those places are going to become fewer and fewer you know, as time goes on. 
Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit. You have a book. Um, it's called The Aha Effect. And I wondered if you might tell us a little bit about the book and just what inspired you to to write it. Um, the book is about one core thesis that that's in a way in stark contrast to what a lot of other communication coaches would tell you. Um, where, where a lot of effort is put onto, well, how to shine the brightest light upon yourself, how to put on the greatest show so that people somehow cheer for your achievements, cheer for your product and are dying to buy you. Um, so it's basically about the wow effect. Um, but my thesis is that the wow effect is only going to take you so far because it's always short, just just in the moment. It will every wow effect will fade. What you actually want to have is not that people are saying what a great show that's been, what a great performance that's been uh, by you, but what you want them to say. What a great idea that's been. Well, that's a profound aha effect that you've taken. And it might need, might, you might be required to have sort of a wow effect to get their attention so that you're in a position to actually take them to that aha moment. But each, each of those wow effects is just useless if you don't take that step, the second step. If you don't ask yourself, what's going to be different after my presentation? Where am I going to take them? Wow effects can be bought by money, but that aha effect can't. Um, you need to go through that hard work that we mentioned earlier, that, that you need to think it through. What's, what, what's the difference? Why, why would that audience that I'm speaking to today or that's reading my blog post, why is that specific audience actually caring for the things I'm telling them? And why today? Why now? And what is... What, what's going to be different for them when they've read it or heard it? I love that phrase. What's going to be different. How, you know, sometimes I work with organizations on like their mission, vision, values, statements. And that's a phrase I, I use sort of an adjacent phrase, which is how's the world going to be different when your company is gone? You know, like some eventually companies go away, most of them in some way or another, but what if your impact was still there? So I love that you know you're sort of taking that same angle. Most writers that I know have gone through you know their own story, their own journey, and that's what inspired the book. Was there you know a story or a number of stories that that led you there to writing that book and having that thesis? It certainly was a lot of tiny steps, but if I should. If, if I would, would look at the, 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 the largest possible arc that, 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 that I can span there, then it's probably from the point where I started on my coaching career, um, um, which is a rather which was a rather unusual step. I mean, um, from a background, I'm a computer scientist. My PhD is in mobile communication, um, so I'm I'm sort of the rather unusual communications coach because computer scientists are often those guys who are supposed to be sitting down in the basement, running away, screaming when somebody <laughs> talks to them. Um, but, well, apparently not all of them are. But um, the thing that, that frustrated me 
at some point, and more and more as I as I was working in in that field and um, in doing research and visiting conferences and having meetings and and all these things, I, I was being frustrated by all these great ideas that had been thrown into a, into a trash bin because they weren't presented properly, oh. and and the problem wasn't that they weren't putting on that great show or weren't that those trained presenters. We see a lot of people making great impact, although they are really tuned down people. They are not running the stages or they are not putting up a firework on, on the stage. They are just calmly speaking about the things they care about in a structured and clear way. And that's sort of what I started out with to to show these people that 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 was was where I started my career to show these people who have great ideas a way of doing their presentations in a way that's much more structured and much clearer. And, and today I'm 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 looking at that in a much broader sense, looking at communication in a much broader sense than just just technical presentations. But that's where it all started and where, where it derived from. And I tried to maintain that angle to tell a true story about work that matters, that has an, has an impact on the people you're telling it to. It definitely resonate, excuse me, resonates with me as I think about our listeners, because so many of our listeners are people in their organizations that do have great ideas and their great ideas might be, you know, huge, like we should, completely restructure our organization, or they might be smaller, like, you know, this one little process we could streamline and, you know, it would save us all of this time. But to your point, we have to understand how to communicate that and how to get people to um, not only see it and understand it, but resonate with it because we understand what they need. Um, so I, I definitely see a lot of value in that for our listeners. Um, what are some of the challenges in doing that that you've seen when you work with people, you know, individuals and organizations? Um, I mean, there are a couple, but two, two that immediately pop into my mind as you ask that question is, first is that um, judging from the great presentations or great communicators that we see, for example, on YouTube or uh, on, on big stages is that we confuse the slickness of their presentation with the clarity of their thoughts. And that leads us to a, to the false, false assumption that, that we somehow need to, to decorate our great ideas, our, 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 our ideas and, and have them appear bigger than they actually are. Um, while I think the opposite is true, that, if you look at the at it like this, that, that your your idea is sort of a diamond. You don't decorate diamonds to make them look more beautiful. You polish them because to, to make to make their pure beauty visible. And, and I think that that's a much better approach, at least to start with, to actually find out what's the actual essence of your idea, the core, and then polish that so that it becomes crystal clear and in a way that others are actually able to see what you see so that they can value the impact that your idea is going to have on the organization. 
And then the second thing that happens and that, that, that stands in the way of us doing that is that, I mean, we've spent so many hours, sometimes years, before we arrived at that idea, working on it. Um, every waking hour, standing up in the morning, thinking about it, going to bed with the, our last thought being about that project. And there are so many things to consider and so many details. And now we have that five-minute slots um, to the board to present that idea. And we somehow are in a position, suddenly in a, are in a position where we have to let go of all these details that have become so near and dear to our heart. I mean, we can't possibly leave out that detail or that other one. And, and so we feel that focusing hurts. And there, then the fear of focus comes into play, that the, the fear that the thing we would focus on might just be the wrong thing or might not just be enough for the board to be convinced. And so we put in all these things, and that leads to our message being overfitted with, with information rather than having that cl crystal clear diamond and just polishing it and having one clear statement that's, that resonates strong, as strongly as possible. It strikes me with both of those things that it requires a, an amount of true confidence in your idea, in the root of your idea. You have to have the confidence to own it and polish it and, you know, confidence in like what it, the essence of it, not some, you know, nice wrapping paper around it, but also the confidence to simply stick to the essence of it, to strip it down to just what it is and, and care about that enough to sort of let the rest of it, you know, fall away and maybe come later you know, if, if you can get people on board with your idea, then you can start bringing all the details back, you know, and then, then they get excited with you. Mm -hmm. But to your point, those details are not necessarily what's going to bring them on board. Um, are there any specific um, communicators or stories that you point to that you say, like, this is a beautiful example of what I'm talking about? And they might be in your book. Um, I'm going to order your book after this podcast. <laughs> um, it, it's actually in German. Um, there is actually no English uh, version yet. Um, oh, okay. So, um, but 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 um, but um, there there is sort of a condensed version, which is just to be just about to be published. Probably it's already public. Going to be published when this podcast episode is is um, released, um, where I have a a. Uh, written a short manifesto um, called Leaders Light the Path, which is sort of a very condensed and, and compact version of, of what I've written in, in German in that book. Um, but, but to the question about, what, about which communicators are role models, um, there's actually a rather unusual one. Um, uh, um, and and th this is Bill Gates, who... Um, and, I call him unusual because at the time when he was still running Microsoft, um, he was rather, he was really not famous for his great presentations, probably um, even the opposite. Um, but um, it, during his TED talk, which he did in, when was that? 2009 or so. And where he talked about one of his um, uh, PAP projects, um, which is malaria and um, fighting, uh, fighting malaria. Um, where he was presenting at that TED conference, where 
I believe a ticket costs $6,000 or so. So there are people um, in the audience who you would think would be capable of doing something. I mean, because the, 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 the thing with malaria is that actually it shouldn't be a problem at all anymore because it's not that hard to protect yourself against malaria. The, the problem is that those people are, who are affected with that don't have the resources to do, and those who have the resources aren't affected. And so Bill Gates was speaking about, um, about um, how to fight malaria at that conference, at a place where people paid $6,000 for that ticket. So you would imagine that these are people who are in a position who could do something, yet they were not affected. And that was sort of the challenge that, that Bill Gates was facing there. Um, so how can I make people care for something, see the, the, uh, the, um, the, the effect of something that they don't experience themselves in any way? So what did he do to, to solve that challenge? Um, there was a table standing on the stage. And on that table, there was a, a glass of jar, uh, an empty glass. Um, and a couple of minutes into his presentations, he went to that table and said, you know, I don't see a reason why only poor people should suffer from that. Open the glass of jar and let the mosquitoes fly. Whoa. <laughs> and then added that these mosquitoes weren't obviously um, infected with malaria. Um, so there was no danger other than probably <laughs> getting stitched by them. Um, but, but that moment of, of impact, that, that was so unexpected that, that it took everyone by surprise and it made them realize that, well, it's not just possible to do something. It's sort of the human thing to do something about that because we could, we're just lucky to be born here and we're just lucky to be in that place rather than um, the, the, these other areas. And so once he did that, um, everyone in that room listened to what he had to say with completely different, um, from a completely different perspective. Um, and that was certainly stronger than any. Um, beautiful professionally shot photograph of a of of some some scenery in in Africa or by, from any beautifully designed graphic that showed us the drama of 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 the severity of situ of this situation because everyone knows that already it's not that we don't know that it's that we don't care as much as we should and that's that that's a solution that 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 he found which doesn't cost a, even a penny I mean, everyone has a glass of jar at home and all you had to do is to, to get that clarity about what the what, what's the problem that I need to solve? What's the change that I'm affecting with that presentation? And how can I make the people who are in that room, in that moment, care for, for what I care for? Well, the phrase that came to mind when you described that is that he shook them out of their privilege and into their empathy, you know, and, and immediately started thinking about, you know, um, board of directors who are somewhat removed from an organization or, or the CEO, like sometimes you might need to shock them out of their privilege and into their empathy because we can sit there all day and say, um, I'll just use, 
I don't know, parental leave in the United States is a, a big topic right now. You know, if you're a, a older gentleman who maybe even has grandkids at this point, you know, parental leave might not be at the forefront of your mind. And it's like you said, it's not like they're dispassionate or they, they are lacking in empathy altogether. But if you don't have a moment where it strikes you that this could affect you or someone that you care about, then it might take a little longer, you know? So yeah, I love that. That's so interesting to think about. Like what is, you know, what is the privilege or what is just the perspective that your audience is in right now, which he was clearly very attuned to. And how do I shake them out of that? Like, how do we have that moment um, I also was just kind of imagining Bill Gates like running around his yard with a jar trying to catch mosquitoes. And that was pretty funny too. <laughs> Probably not Bill himself that was catching mosquitoes, but it's still a funny Probably, image. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. And I will definitely put a link to that TED talk in the show notes as well as to your book. Um, so yeah, gosh, I just I'm I'm still actually a little bit in that moment with Bill and the mosquitoes right now. Just thinking about what a I can imagine like the gasp, you know, as someone in the audience goes, "Oh no. Yeah. We're not sheltered anymore." <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, pretty and, brilliant. And, 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 and despite the simplicity of of that that device that he was using, that, that that sort of rhetorical device that he was using there. Um, there is a lot of resistance, in, especially in the corporate world, against things like that, um, where we are used to these um, bullet-laden PowerPoint slides, um, overloaded with information, lacking any emotions, um, every every presentation looking the same, whether it's just a um, the smallest detail in in the project plan or or the reorganization of the whole company, everything looks the the same boring style. And even the slightest thought of doing something that's slightly different, like just letting the beamer black and using some some actual physical thing to bring in that meeting room um, brings shivers to people, makes them, makes them feel the resistance of what if people don't like that? What if my boss doesn't like it? Um, and um, that, that, that's a shame in a way. And, and we, 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 we should take Bill's example um, and, and take it in high regard as, as encouragement that, if we really want to affect change and really want to open our audience's eyes, even if it's our boss, um, it's not going to be the default way, the, the way everyone's doing it all the time that's going to get us their attention and their caring. And we have, have to have confidence in that root idea, going back to what you said earlier. You know, you have to have confidence that, Malaria is important enough <laughs> on its yep. own, yep. you know, that when presented with malaria, period. I mean, that's basically what he did was by letting the mosquitoes out of the jar and for a split second, those people believing that, you know, there might be malaria, that was enough in that moment. 
Um, just having confidence in the essence. I feel like that's what I'm going to take away the most is, and, and, you know. And, and that's, but that's exactly why we asked you to do, do that presentation. If, even if you're just a team member with no official title, we asked you to, to give that presentation because you care so much that you are in a position to, 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 to light us that, that path. To, to have that confidence. Um, and if you're just if you're just sort of hiding behind the facts, you're waiving that responsibility. And you're just hiding from taking the, res- the, the, the opportunity that was given to you and the hope that we put into you to, to guide us that, that, that way. Um, but if you're just reciting the facts, you're basically delegating that responsibility back to us, your audience. Reciting the facts and spending all of your time on PowerPoint animations, um, you know, (laughs) then then your effort, your time, your energy is in sort of the, as you said way early on, like the short term, you know, I'm going to forget about your PowerPoint animations, but I am not going to forget that, you know, not that not that there isn't a good use for PowerPoint presentation uh, animations, but if you, if if that's the case, if you're spending all of your time doing those animations, you're you're focused on looking good rather than doing good, and mm. and that that's a major difference, and that shouldn't be confused. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm inspired, <laughs> and I'm sure the listeners are as well. Um, so if people wanted to learn more about your work, um, maybe have you come and work with them or the organization, where can they find you? Where can they find your book? All of these things. Yeah. Um, the easiest way will be to just head over to my website. That's michaelgerhards.com, G-E-R-H-A-R-Z, one word, michaelgerhards.com. And from there, you can go to various places like um, have a look at my blog where I publish a daily thoughts on the art of communicating or visit my podcast, which is a very tight um, format, two mi- just two minutes twice a week um, called Leaders Light the Path, which is also the title of, of the aforementioned manifesto that I'm about to publish. Um, you can find that at leaderslightthepath.com, one word, um, and, and downloaded it. And, and find some inspiration. And if you find that that that's worth exploring more, then just reach out to me via, via the contact information on my website or um, reach out on social media. You'll find me on all the major networks, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, and I'll be happy to talk to you with the change you're trying to make. Amazing. And you're based where? I'm from Germany. I'm uh, close to Cologne in Germany. Beautiful. Um, but do you work with clients? Do you work with people worldwide virtually as yeah. well? Or do you travel? I do. I awesome. do both. Yeah. Um, I just had to mention when you were talking about the manifesto, I was thinking about how you were, you know, practicing what you preach, so to say. I mean, basically, it sounds like you've distilled it down to the essence. And that's what you're sharing with us through the manifesto and, you know, having confidence in just that root idea, even from the book, which is pretty great. Um, so I have one more question for you before we wrap up a question that I ask every guest on the show here in season two, when you heard the name of the podcast, wild hearts at work, what was the first thing that came to mind and and how did that resonate with you 
What did you think that that meant? Well, I saw saw that show, and I the, the first thing the, my first contact with the show was on my way back from a workshop, and that that's how I reached out to you, and I, I believe uh, from a workshop that that had me actually. Um, feeling quite quite baffled about the the resistance of these ideas some of the things that we talked about and i felt that there was was so much energy in that team and so many great ideas but so much holding back and resistance of of what what if people not going will not like it what what if there's going to be some pushback against doing things differently um and i uh, i felt that that these people would really have benefited if they were a little bit more wilder at their <laughs> hearts not so not so much obedient to that company structure that's to that hierarchy that that was present there um but but realizing that that any role in a company can be turned into a leader if you just take the courage of of making others see what you see and speaking about the things in a way that make it easy for the others to agree with, with, with what, what you've seen and to work a little bit harder on making sure that that thing is like, like you put it previously, that that thing is worth standing for. And then speaking about that, that with, with clarity, not, not to, not to just rush through the walls and, 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 neglect everything that's in, in in the organization that's not what i'm talking about but actually looking at how can the things that that i see benefit all of us and then just be a little bit braver to to make that happen and believe in yourself a little bit better and don't put the blame on others who don't resonate with with, with those things but work on speaking about those things in a way that they can resonate with it. I love that. Uh, this question has been so interesting to just hear, you know, each week um, different perspectives on that. And that, that really resonates with me. So uh, Dr. Gerhards, thank you so much for being here. Um, again, go uh, in the show notes, you'll be able to find all of his content contact information. Um, go find out more about him. His work is fascinating. And um, I think you'll see why it resonates with Wild Hearts at Work. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you for the work that you do. Uh, it makes a difference. Thanks very much. And to you, my listeners, thank you for being here for another week, another episode. You continue to make this such fulfilling work for me. And um, I just appreciate you coming back week after week. So um, make sure you share, like, subscribe, all the social media things that we talk about every week. Um, but uh, until net, excuse me, until next time, dear hearts, stay wild. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissaboggs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.